Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah Langerhall with the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State University. Our upcoming Emerging Issues Forum, Talent First Economics, will bring together leaders from across sectors, regions, and perspectives to talk about how we can better engage North Carolina's workforce by putting the needs of our talent, the workers themselves, first. Today is the first in a series of podcasts on the topic, and I'm very excited to have the Philip Cooper with me. Philip is currently serving as practitioner in residence at IEI, and he's evolved into a new role with the Land of Sky Regional Council in Asheville as their workforce equity advocate. He is known to most people across the state and nation as Change Agent Cooper. Welcome, Philip. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So uh, thank you again. I- I'm just so grateful for, you know, the connection with uh, IEI. But today I want to I want to introduce another hero, local hero, second chance employer, equitable hiring uh, employer and partner. You know, uh, my man, Scott Kirchner from Vertel Hospitality Group. He is uh, the general manager, but he does a little bit of everything over there. I promise you, man, uh, you can catch this guy. Uh, he might be doing housekeeping, welcoming people, running the hotel. I wonder, do you do valet as well? Scott, you do everything, bro. Depends on the ride, but probably, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. Glad to have you here, my brother. It's my pleasure. And um, yeah, Philip, thank you for the kind introduction. Um, Likewise, it's a two-way street. It's been a pleasure working with you over the years. Um, But just a a brief... uh, Brief summary of, of where I am. I'm, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, like Philip said, working for uh, Vertel Hospitality, um, which is a management company with uh, five hotels in the Asheville area and then one under management in Dahlonega, Georgia, in, in North Georgia. Um, but I'm the general manager for the Element Hotel, which opened last September. And uh, I'm very happy to uh, be a part of the hospitality and, and workforce community here in Asheville in Western North Carolina. Well, thanks again to both of you for being with us today, and uh, let's get started. So, Philip, one of the hats you wear as IEI practitioner in residence is that you co-chaired our recent task force on Talent First Economics, along with Annie Izod, Executive Director of the NC Works Commission. Now, Annie knows the system really well, and she is really passionate about making the workforce system work for more people. But you also know the system and bring your lens of lived experience, or what we now like to call lived expertise, to the conversation. And from the beginning, we knew we needed the voice of underrepresented workers amplified at the table. And because of the trust you have with people in communities, you helped bring a lot of that lived expertise to the task force. In your years of doing this work, what you say fighting for the underdog, how has that evolved? Meaning the acknowledgement that lived expertise needs to be a part of the solution setting. Well, you know, um, evolution, evolution, man. Uh, it started out, you know, without me knowing uh, uh, as much about the the inner workings of the system. Like, for example, I started out fighting to get people jobs, advocating to get folks jobs. You know, when the when they uh, uh like the hospital had banned the box, the city of Asheville had banned the box. So I was like advocating to those employers to get folks jobs. But then when I started working like at the community college in the workforce development space, I started learning more about those short term job opportunities uh, and job training opportunities, uh, uh, WIOA, uh, uh, vocational rehabilitation. So I would definitely. 
definitely say that the evolution uh, included me being well-versed with what resources were available so that I could become a bridge, right? So um, I'm able to tap in and and not just support the people. Now I'm supporting employers as well. You know, and, and one example I would even say with Vertel Hospitality Group. And so this is what has happened is, is you know, the evolution included me not just benefiting the job seeker, but benefiting the employer as well, getting them well-versed with those uh, resources that support the employers. You know, you have a lot more trust in the community that I do or that Scott might have as an employer initially off the gate. Um, so so what are some of those barriers or some of those um you know, those challenges and complaints that are you that you're hearing from from some of these workers, whether they're trying to connect to a job or trying to engage and, in, in, you know, the culture um, or growing in a role. What are some of those those challenges that you're hearing from the employers themselves, those workers themselves? Well, I'll let Scott Scott, you want to chime in on, on, on some of that first, because I can get long winded and I don't want to be doing all the time. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm happy to. And I, I actually I'm. I'm I'm excited to hear your your perspective, Philip. So I'll, I'll give mine. But um, you know, so, some of the challenges that that we're seeing, um, as I'll just speak to the hospitality industry and hotels specifically, um, the challenges we're seeing are are so unique compared to where they were. Gosh, um, certainly pre-pandemic, um, and I know there's a lot of factors there, and we could talk about that for a while. But um, it, it's it's so different now. Um, I've found it so much more challenging to um, attract individuals um, and then keep them like more than ever. And I, I'm not sure what that is. We certainly have a lot of we're putting a lot of resources into bettering ourselves there. But um, I've never had a harder time with um, front of house team members. So these would be in, in the hotel world. We're talking about primarily front desk agents. Um, I've never had a harder time attracting those types of individuals. For whatever reason, our, our heart of house team members, the, the room attendants, the dishwashers, laundry attendants, um, we've we've had a lot more luck. But to answer the question about like specific challenges, um, for us, I think it comes down to setting expectations for what the job um, entails and what it's going to look like. I think it's easy for us to sit in an interview or have a discussion with somebody casually and paint it maybe as in, in a much more rosy way with, without any ill intent. It's just, you know, we're excited hospitality people. We're kind of sharing our passion. Um, but day to day in a hotel, you never know what's going to happen. And um, I think um, some individuals are surprised once they get in the building and start working, no matter how well we do with the onboarding process, no matter how, 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 um, thoughtful we are with the training, we tend to lose people just because I think they, they had a different um, image in their mind of what their day-to-day was going to look like. Um, And that's what we're struggling with. Uh, It's sometimes individuals just stop showing up for the job. You have great conversations with them day-to-day. Hey, how's it going? Maybe they're not as open as, as you'd like them to be with some of the challenges they're experiencing. And then they stop showing up. And you're like, what did we do? What did I do? Um, so th- those are that's what I'm seeing right now, and I'm seeing that in in both heart of house and front of house positions. Um, but we're we're definitely putting a lot of em- emphasis on training and onboarding because we feel in the first 14, 30 days of a position, that's where we can that's where we can lose somebody. That's where we are losing individuals. Um, so we've been a lot more deliberate about what we're doing in, in that in that space. Um, 
mm-hmm. and uh, you know, getting better, but it's still challenging day to day. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, um, and I'll take it back a little bit to where how we say fighting for the underdog. And a lot of times, you know, um, the underdog is a person who hasn't had any soft skills training. I like to call it essential skills training, though. Right. And that's a big, big piece of the puzzle. Like when you look at people who are contributors to the ecosystem, they're giving people a shot, you know, and some of these folks that are getting a shot, they might not have had soft skills training before or or like consistent culturally sensitive mentorship. You know, many of them may have came from single parent households or come from communities to where, you know, a work ethic wasn't embedded in the community. It's poverty stricken and, uh, uh, you know, the criminal activity and, and things of that nature. So whenever they do start to do right, they have a lot to learn, you know, and it's more than just getting a job. Job retention requires really a, a community centered approach because, you know, even at work, your your colleagues are you're like family, like when you work there for a while. Right. Um, you spend a lot of time there. And so um, I would say the training uh, uh, that they need prior to getting jobs is one of the things that I would say uh, that they need. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like what we're really talking about is this ecosystem mm-hmm. that you and I were really excited about. And actually uh, at the NC Works Partnership Conference last month, you know, you and I, we had a lot of fun. And But all <laughs> fun aside, right, we, we introduced uh, people to a new people strategy. So partnerships that enable opportunities for policy and practice that lead to empowerment. And that empowerment is employment, engagement, you name it. Um, so, so you mentioned a couple of um, pieces of that ecosystems, transportation, community. You talk a lot about um, community health workers mm-hmm. and sort of these system navigators. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about that or any other um, elements of the ecosystem that you just don't think get an, enough attention or that if we had enough of X that we yeah. would um, have, you know, a, a greater opportunity to uh, better connect, engage and grow workers. But the community health worker is um, an evidence based practice. It's a, a person who's trusted in a community who serves as a link liaison or intermediary between the community and the community resources. Uh, community health workers blew up during the pandemic because community health workers were the ones that they chose to help get the PPE in underrepresented populations, marginalized communities. And the community health workers got out the mask, sanitizer, gloves, you know, food boxes, like all the things. And it wowed people so much that investments continue to go forward with addressing, you know, this sexy vernacular. We have social determinants of health. And so when we look at social determinants of health, I like to put the emphasis on economic security, which is a social determinant of health, as well as access to quality education and training, which is a social determinant of health. And so with community health workers, uh, um, they come in, they hold a person's hand, you know, help them obtain the documentation that they need, educate them about the resources that they can access. Because like, um, you know, I had to repeat it again, you know, vocational rehabilitation, WIOA, uh, on the job training contracts, work opportunity tax credit, federal bonding. All of these are resources that benefits the employer. These are resources that benefit the employer, but it can be cumbersome for the job seeker to access and and obtain this this documentation, make it back and forth to those appointments to the NC Works or or the vocational rehabilitation. So that's where the community health worker comes in and holds their hand through the process. And we have examples that we can point to now. So more of X and you get Y, I would say, you know, an investment in the community health workers who can have caseloads up to 25 
uh, uh, 25, 30 people, um, you know, helping them get engaged, identifying those high demand industries. If there are uh, short term job trainings, you know, the community health worker comes alongside them. And it's and it's easy. Like we, we're doing it right now. We have a couple of on the job training contracts going right now. You know, and, and the community health workers were heavily involved in accessing that resource from, you know, being the communicator between, you know, the mama and the job. Because like the example we have with Scott and the team at uh, Vertel, you know, his mother was involved. So I was talking to mama at NC Works. Mama was talking to Robert and me, Robert Foster and Scott and them over there at Vertel. And they was talking to Tom and it became a beautiful thing. It was like an easy thing and it's replicable. But we have to be intentional about investing in those people who are building the bridge because Philip Cooper can't do everything. Right. So we need more people to do that. And we have more examples that we can point to. And like I said, at some point in time, the right state person is going to get wind of what we're doing and they're going to say, oh, my God, this needs to happen everywhere. Yeah, I, I would echo just hearing Philip explain all of that. Um, um, as employers, you know, we just get so in the weeds sometimes in the minutia where we can't take a step back and and understand that if we invest a little bit of time into something um, in the short term, it's going to have a huge impact long term. So I love just hearing Philip talk about that kind of gave me the goosebumps of like, wow, yeah. What, what more, how, how many more people could, could benefit from, um, from that, that assistance, not just the employer, but, but uh, the people in our community, uh, just baffling to me. So the, the transportation barrier that, that Philip mentioned is something I want to zoom in on a little bit because we've had in, in our, in our, in sort of our brainstorming, um, recruitment discussions with Vertel we've thrown around the idea of, of how do we solve that? Or like, how do we solve that? Because we, we kind of acknowledge through like employee focus groups that it is a problem transportation. Um, so that's something we are looking at. And I would be so curious to hear from any business that's doing that. Well, um, I don't know if it's as easy as, is simply paying every team member, a, a monthly stipend that they can use for the transportation need of their choice, whether that's new shoes, bus pass, gas in the car, whatever it might be. Um, so anyway, I just want to comment on that, that that's something we're very much looking at. And I, I'm excited to hear about any potential headway there. Um, but also, uh, Philip, you mentioned um, soft skills, but also you, you like to call them essential skills, which I love. And I'm probably going to take that with me. But um, <laughs> I think that's that's also a two-way street because we expect uh, team members to come in, um, new hires, and have a certain set of essential skills. Um, but I know that team members will also leave employers because the employer does not have a, uh, a, a set of essential skills that are important to that employee. So that's something also that I've personally been trying to get better at. And it's something that's been so different in the last two years, I'd say even like where understanding, not just, okay, we're, you know, with a new hire, okay, where are you from? What do you like to do with your time off, et cetera? That's kind of where we used to be. Like that's how the connection would work, but now it's so much more understanding the personal story of individuals. Um, you know, where are they coming from? What are they struggling with outside of work? And, and like, I think it's great that people have become more open about these sorts of things. Um, because as employers, if we're not listening or asking for that information and, and you know, obviously the most um, natural and sort of organic way and not doing something with it, 
that's shame on us. I, I can tell you that we've we've lost in my in my personal experience. I think I, we've lost team members because we didn't identify we we didn't listen well enough and take action on something that would have helped um, a team member stay with us with a small tweak on our end that would have cost us zero dollars. No more resources. It's just a little bit of of listening and taking a little different approach with individuals. Um, and so I just, you know, when you, we talk about like the cultural ecosystem and all that, how are we hiring individuals that will work within our existing culture of the workplace? It's very hard to change a culture um, unless it's going backwards. I think it's very easy to change a culture for the negative. You can do it like in a, in a second, but to maintain and move it forward is very challenging. And I think we have to look at the individuals we're hiring um, to make sure that they're also going to to fit in and be able to contribute, because I think we all want to be able to contribute. That's what helps a lot of us get out of bed in the morning is is a sense of purpose, a sense of value. Um, and as an employer or somebody that's looking to hire team members, I think we have to look at the full picture there and understand, are we going to be putting this person, no matter what we do, no matter what they do, will this work culturally? Um, and, I, and again, that's another another item that we just need to keep looking at and getting better at. Um, I got a question for uh, for you, Scott. Uh, um, why do you think some folks are are hesitant to to provide second chances, specific to like folks with backgrounds? Why do you think some employers are that way from from an employer's perspective? That's a, a fair question. My perspective on it one one the first thing that comes to mind is it's at risk. Just the we don't like the risk the maybe it's just too conservative of a a thought process on on what what's the worst that could happen and then just going immediately to that just kind of not even thinking about any positives no no best case scenarios no medium case scenarios just worst case scenario um so i think companies that may have had a, a have a, a lot more like a longer history might be a little more uh, conservative there um, because you could like really what's especially understanding of like Philip in your case, I think a lot of the um, second chance individuals we might've, we might've might connected with through you. You obviously have a, a, a fair amount of credibility with us and within the community that makes it a little easier, but we're at the point I'm at the point uh, I should say that I will talk to anybody and it's not out of desperation. It's out of why not? Like why, what can we learn from one another? We can always say no, that for this reason, it won't work for that reason. It won't work, but there's really a few things we can undo. So I would challenge companies that haven't considered this to reevaluate, think about what are the what are the best case scenarios or second to third best case scenarios and and go from there? I, but to answer your question, I think the reasons might just be risk. Like I can't think of any other reasons outside of that or perception from team members. Perhaps mm-hmm. that one just came to mind. Maybe that that Next. culture within that culture within that building might not be as receptive to something like that. And I think that would be something that would have to be examined before you go down that route. I think that we've built cultures within our buildings that are a little more, um, a little more tolerance, probably not the best word, but just we're open and like, we just want, we want to get to know people. I think we've got, we, we don't allow for the lack of tolerance in our, in our buildings so much. We, we 
we want everyone to feel that they can be included and uh, be embraced. So, yeah, I know I went a little tangenty there, but yeah, that's no, nah, it was it was good because you kind of answered what my follow up question was going to be. You know what what could could kind of lessen the, 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 the hindrance, you know what I'm saying? Of doing it. And, and you, you mentioned it like community partnerships. And that's one of the things we talked about with talent first uh, economics task force. And we noticed it across all five work groups. Everybody was talking about, you know, having the community partners there and leveraging lived experience to, then that's an additional layer of vetting as well as accountability. And so um, that's what I see uh, that has been working and you went straight to it from the first question I asked. So I do appreciate you mentioning uh, the value of, you know, having a referral partner. And that's the mindset that we have with inclusive hiring partners in which, you know, the Chamber of Commerce convenes the employers and the service providers together. And then the employers learn about what services the service providers provide. And then there's the the bridge for the, the pipeline uh, is what we what we call it. And so that's that's what that's what works. And it's replicable. You know, who are your community service providers? Who are your community uh, leaders and uh, community based organizations? And, and do you have a relationship with them for the employers that's watching? Do you know your community based organizations and do you have a relationship with them? And if you don't, maybe that's the next step into tapping into that untapped population of talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Philip, when I heard that presentation about Asheville's uh, inclusive hiring partners at the North Carolina EDA conference, I mean, talk about goosebumps. I thought that's the first thing I thought of was how, how do we scale this? Like, yeah. can we have this at, located at co-located at every chamber across, you know, the state um, and take those lessons learned? Oh, you want to talk about one success story, Scott? Um, one great success story we've had from um, and Philip, please correct me if I'm wrong, but Herschel, um, yeah, has been a, a great success story for us. Um, he's been with us, uh, gosh, I think we're going on almost half a year, if not longer, right around there. But at any rate, this gentleman um, started with us and was, um, to put it lightly, extremely reserved. Um, and, and his position actually is a guest facing position. He's one of our public area attendants. So his primary responsibility is to maintain all of the public spaces in the hotel, all of the spaces that the guests um, uh, gather in, enjoy um, amenities, the fitness center, the pool, et cetera. So he's interact. He, he has the opportunity that position does to interact with guests almost as much, if not more than a front desk agent. And so when he started, um, he was head down, um, limited interaction, getting the job done in terms of the tasks. But my concern as a general manager, wanting to have this service-oriented guest-facing culture was he's got to say hello. He's got to interact with with the guests. Um, So all that to say, you know, he he showed up on time every day. He did the job. and then I'll never forget, I, we received a guest comment. You know, we get guest comments through different mediums. TripAdvisor, we have an internal survey, digital survey system. Of course, we get feedback directly while the guest is here. But I'll never forget, we got this. We got a comment um, through one of the digital services we utilize stating how pleased they were with Herschel. Now, public area attendance. I know I said that they interact with guests all the time. They don't get called out that often by guests. It's just, uh, it it just doesn't happen that frequently. So, 
you can imagine my surprise when I, one, saw a comment about a public area attendant, and two, it was Herschel. I was like, wow, did we just did we just cross a bridge here? And um, they kept coming. I mean, guests really started to enjoy, like, sharing. Herschel was so great. He was so helpful. He was so friendly, um, big smile. Um, and, you know, I just, I didn't even ask Herschel what changed. I just, it just, it just kept going. And I noticed him interact more and more with our team. He became very comfortable in our building. Um, and it's, it's one of the greatest employee success stories that I've ever seen. Um, you know, we, we were able to flat, we, had, we were able to come to an agreement on his schedule. He had certain needs. We had certain needs and it just worked out really, really well. And it allowed him to pursue some passions outside of work to better, his career and advance his career. And, and Philip, if you want, you can talk more about that, but he's, he's been doing things outside of work that are going to impact the world. And it's really, really cool that he's able to kind of have a home base with us as he gets back on his feet, he's normalizing. And I don't, it's, I would take Herschel a hundred times over. It's, it's very, very fantastic. And I feel very lucky that we have him on our team. Um, you know, but another thing like adapting to to their needs versus their work needs, you know, um, that's that's another major one. Could you speak to that any like their needs versus their work needs? Yes. So, I mean, one, I think we've been more open um, in recent, I'd say, years to pursuing and understanding what it what it is that's important to the team member and adjusting what is I'm putting this in the bunny ear or the air quotes. What is normal for a hotel operation? For many years, you'd have a hotel operation that required a certain type of schedule for a certain type of position in those, the roles that were always done for those positions at those times. What we've been doing is changing that based upon the employee to the, to, to the level we can. And that was the case with Herschel. And we were also willing, I think we were even at a point where we might have been potentially overstaffed in that position. But we saw an opportunity to gain some confidence in this program with this individual and and, and make sure it worked. So, um, yeah, and, and understanding better about, learn, you know, being able to talk to Herschel every day and learn a little bit more about him as a person to the level he's comfortable sharing made all the difference in the world. Because I can tell you, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a introvert big time. Um, I'm not sure how I landed in the hotel industry, but I'm a big time introvert <laughs> and I have a hard time talking about myself and engaging in conversation unless I'm prompted. And that was the, that was the case with Herschel. And I think we identified that a few of us leaders are in this hotel happen to be the same way. Um, again, it's building that culture. That's going to make sense. But then, you know, for us, it was easy to talk to Herschel every day, get him a little more open, recognize him more, show him those comments he's getting from guests. And that's when kind of the the top flew off, I think. And he just won our, he was, we had a pumpkin carving contest that he won and he was very vocal about he was going to win it. And when he did win it, he was vocal about winning it. That's not the Herschel that we would have seen when he first started. Um, so it, it's just been great to see him show us who he really is. It's not like we changed him. He, he's just comfortable showing us who he is. And I think we're giving him the platform to do so. 
Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks to Philip Cooper and Scott Kirshner for being with us today. I'm Sarah Langer-Hall with the Institute for Emerging Issues, and I can't wait to continue this conversation at the Emerging Issues Forum on February 13th. To register, visit emergingissues.org. And until next time, let's stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.